Welcome to another episode of Pilates Elephants. Today we are talking about burnout, what it is and how to get past it. I'm here with Natalie Wilson. Natalie, welcome. Hey, Raf. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here with you. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Um, so could you just briefly introduce yourself for those of our listeners, even though this is this is your third time, I think, on the podcast, could you just introduce yourself to those of our listeners who haven't met you yet? Yes, my name is Natalie Wilson. I am a Pilates instructor here in Seattle, Washington in the United States. I teach in the studio, but I also teach at a hospital and I specialize with working with people with neurological conditions. And my background before Pilates is that is in social work and psychology and mental health. So you're pretty well positioned to have a conversation about burnout. Well, maybe we'll see. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, the, the first thing is like, well, what is burnout? I mean, people, you know, we, 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 I see this a lot in social media, um, you know, the term thrown around. Um, and I think we all kind of have an intuitive kind of grasp of what we think it means, but I'm not sure if we all have the same intuitive grasp of what we think it means. So yeah, what is burnout? Yeah, burnout, I think, is a really big topic right now, especially uh, with the pandemic and with the big resignation. Was that something is that something that's happening in Australia, too, where people just quitting their jobs and you have a shortage of workers and they're they're all calling burnout? Uh, anecdotally, I've experienced I've heard that from other business owners I know. Yeah, but I don't know about yeah. the stats on it. Yeah, I think burnout is a really big topic right now. It's really timely. I'm just going to read the definition from the World Health Organization rather than me trying to um, use my own words. So this is from uh, 2019, May 2019, and I'll just read it here. It says, burnout is included in the 11th revision of the International Classification of Diseases as an Occupational Phenomenon. It is not classified as a medical condition. Burnout is a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It is characterized by three dimensions, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job, or feelings of negative negativism or cynicism related to one's job, and reduced professional efficacy. So let me actually summarize those again. Because um, from the research that I've been doing, those three dimensions are really important. It's not enough to just have one dimension. So the first dimension is exhaustion. So that could be physical exhaustion or mental exhaustion, and that's self-explanatory. The second dimension is, um, in psychology, we call it depersonalization. And another way to look at it is just having emotional distance from your work. So feeling cynical about your work, you could be feeling cynical about, so we'll say, we'll use the Pilates studio. You could feel cynical about your management. You could feel cynical about your students. It's a loss of empathy. And uh, what I like to call just not giving a shit. And then the third is a loss of professional efficacy. And another way you can think about that is a decreased sense of achievement or, you know, you might feel like you're working really, really hard and no matter how hard you work, no, it doesn't matter. Nothing is, you know, you're not making a difference. You're not making an impact. So basically you're exhausted, 
you don't give a shit and you don't feel like it makes any difference when you do anyway. Yeah. And I feel like we've all probably been there at some point and, or we know people who have been there yeah. or are going I, I through think, that right now. I imagine there's a sea of multiple tens of thousands of hands going up around the world <laughs> right yeah. now. My hand's up. I've definitely been there. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So I think this is really important that it's to understand it's not a medical diagnosis. It's a, it's a condition or a syndrome. So it's like, it's a real thing. Um, but it's, it's not really a distinct, um, you know, diagnosis. So it's probably, and this is kind of, I've got pretty much a lay person's understanding of it here. It's basically some kind of thing that exists at the intersection of, uh, fatigue, overwhelm, stress, depression, disempowerment, you know, probably one or two other things, you know, would you, would you, do you think similarly or do you say it differently? No, I think you're right. I think it, yeah. Well, and I think what's really tricky is that burnout can lead to medical conditions. Burnout mm-hmm. can lead mm-hmm. to anxiety disorders or panic attacks or depression. And and those things can lead to physical things, right? So it's right. really hard to to tease all of that out. And and also I feel like in the research that I've done, there there is a place to get medical help if burnout is getting out of control and you need to, you need to get extra support. So, but yeah, according to the world health organizations, they don't classify it as a medical condition. And what's really interesting too, is they, the world health organization specifically sees it as a professional or an occupational condition, but there has been in popular culture and in the media, they have, there are other places we see burnout. There's a lot of talk about, parental burnout, especially after the pandemic. I mean, in my mind, I think of like in America, 50% of marriages end up in divorce, probably more than that. That's burnout, (laughs) right? Um, But yeah, in this specific content text, they look at at it as an occupational hazard. And and I think, go ahead. ahead. Uh, Well, I was just going to say that, yeah, what you say is, uh, I think that's important to understand that, you know, the word that we're using burnout, you know, that refers to a whole spectrum of, you know, things. And, you know, if, if you're sort of lying at home, you know, paralyzed in bed, you know, unable to face work or, or the world, well, you're probably right off the end of the spectrum of burnout into depression or, you know, some kind of other mental health crisis. So, you know, uh, I think absolutely, I don't want to say for, suggest for a second that this is not something we should take seriously or, or do something about. Um, but I think, you know, um, also I think it's important to understand that, uh, you know, burnout, you know, as a standalone, well, it's not really a standalone thing, is it? I mean, it's, it's, it's comprised of a number of dimensions yeah. and there'll be elements of fatigue, uh, anxiety, depression, stress, um, you know, external locus of control, you know, a whole bunch, you know, decreased self-efficacy. Um, uh, what did you say? Depersonalization where people sort of like dis- dissociate. Um, mm-hmm. um, so there'll be kind of elements of each of those dimensions in, in anyone's experience of burnout. It might be a slightly different combination of those things for, you know, someone might be more anxious and less depressed or someone else right. might have more disempowerment and less fatigue or whatever, but, yeah. but it's going to be some combination of those things. And if any one or more or the mix of those things sort of, exceeds some kind of threshold, well, then it 
can become a genuine mental health, you know, yeah. um, crisis. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, and and I guess the way that I look at it from a mental health perspective is if you have burnout, you can't go into an MRI machine and get some sort right. of very specific reading, but right. there, there is enough research out there that you, it's easily classified. You right. know, if you, if you take the, there's a, there's a, something called the Maslach burnout inventory that's used um, in organizational psychology to measure people's burnout. And it's, it was, it was made in 1981. So this is, this is quite a while. It's been used for quite a while. And I think it's in its fourth edition at this point. So they've, researchers have a pretty good idea of what burnout is, but we, we can't, we can't measure it. And I think mm. there, there needs to be more research done. And right now, like I said, the World Health Organization only looks at it in the professional realm, but we, we can probably think of many examples where it's in other parts of our lives. Right. So basically, if you're exhausted, you don't feel like you're making a difference and you've stopped caring to some degree, that's, that's burnout. Right? Yep. Yep. Um, so, well, you know, given that the research is still, I guess, in its, you know, nascent phase and we're, we're, we're still sort of busy, defi- I guess we've moved past defining it, but we can't really even measure it yet. Um, so uh, I think, um, you know, the conversation that we're going to have, there's going to be some bits of evidence on like what you can do to move past burnout. And then a lot of it's just going to be kind of like, I guess, common sense or pragmatic things that you can do. Like we know, if we know that, or if we assume that burnout, you know, has, it is, has dimensions in, you know, like fatigue, stress, depression, anxiety, those things. It's like, well, we, we kind of know what to do for a lot of those things. Um, so we can probably just kind of apply some of that same logic to burnout, right? Yep. That's all we got right now. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I guess, uh, you know, and talking specifically in the context of being a Pilates instructor or Pilates, you know, small business owner or Pilates solopreneur, self-employed as a Pilates instructor, um, uh, you know, so if, if I'm feeling burnout, if I'm feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, you know, starting to care less, um, and feeling like I'm not making a difference or that I'm not able to have the impact that I, I want or my, I'm not receiving the, the recognition that I want or I, have, I don't feel like I've got autonomy in, in, in my work. Um, like, well, where do I start? What do I do? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, one of the things that was really helpful for me in doing some of this research was, that, was to understand that burnout is not something that an individual person feel should feel completely responsible for. And I think that was really an important piece for me because I think sometimes when you're in the thick of chronic stress, it feels like you're all alone and it also feels like you're the, it's your fault. And I, I know that for me, I'm just going to speak for, for myself. Um, when I was really, really burned out, I felt like it was my problem. And I felt like, therefore, I was the one who needed to figure everything out on my own. And it took me a really long time to dig myself out of that hole. Well, one of the things that um, I came across, and let me back up a little bit, 
just in terms of some, uh, I just wanted to give some recognition to the researchers that whose work that I, I looked at for for this podcast. Um, I I started following Amelia Nagoski and Emily Nagoski. They're twin sisters who wrote a book about burnout. They also have a really great 15 minute podcast that I think is really worth watching uh, because they argue that burnout is not about self care. So that's great. Maybe we can link that to the show notes, Raf. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's a great point. I've watched that same one that you sent me, and um, I tend to agree. I don't think yeah. self-care is the antidote to burnout. Right, right. And then the other researcher I have been following is Christina Maslach, who was the researcher in 1981 uh, who created the the burnout inventory. And then the last researcher I've been following is Wendy Suzuki, Suzuki who is a professor of neuroscience. I think that's right. And um, she wrote a book, but I also listened to her on a bunch of podcasts. And one of the things that they all talk about is that we need to first understand that burnout has larger dimensions than ourselves. There's a societal dimension where we really glorify working hard. Uh, so there's a, a really large societal di- dimension to the cause of burnout. And then on a middle level, there's an organizational level. So the workplace, the job. Um, and this is mostly for people, for for Pilates teachers who work in a studio setting. And then there's stuff that we can talk about on an individual level. So on an individual level, well, let me back up a little bit. Let's talk just a little bit about the societal level, because I thought this was really interesting to really conceptualize the the overall cause of burnout as this relationship that we have with the idea of work and how we, I think as a society and maybe Western society, actually no, because there are, they, they talk about this in Japan too, in Korea, that we really glorify working really, really hard. You know, I was thinking about some of the terms that we use to think about work, like higher calling, like all of these morally positive ideas about work, you know, higher calling, great work ethic. I think I wrote some things down, labor of love, sacrifice, like all of these things that make work sexy and good, as opposed to some of the terms we use for people who don't work like bum, loafer, (laughs) lazy bones, uh, slacker. So I think our society loves the hustle. We love working hard. I think if you look on Instagram too, you'll see a lot of people working really hard. <laughs> working out, we call exercise working out. So I found that really interesting to just f- to see myself as a burned out person as part of a larger environment where the messages I've been given my whole life is you got to work hard. You got to work hard. Yeah, I'd like to inject a little bit of additional nuance into that uh, and then bounce it off and you tell me what you think. That, uh, yeah, I, I agree with what you say there, but I think there's a little bit more to it. So, you know, there's pretty incontrovertible evidence that if you do nothing but sort of uh, you sit at home with no work, like even if you have a million dollars to spend, 
right? If you've got no direction, no structure, no purpose to your life, that, that's not good for our mental health. You know, that's why people tend to die within two years of retiring, right? It's because they, their life lacks structure and meaning and all purpose. And they think, well, what the fuck's the point of me being here? Yeah. So, so, so not working, um, whether it's paid or unpaid work, you know, isn't, isn't a good thing for us as, as humans. Uh, and equally, you know, working ourselves too hard is is not good, but so I think there's some kind of Goldilocks amount in the middle yeah. there, that is that is the right amount, um, and also I think even a further little nuance. I think some of those those uh, sort of language uh, things that you brought up, so um, things like you know sacrifice. Um, uh, I think there is you know in and, and this I think this is particularly true in the Pilates world that we conflate like we're all helpers, right? There's, I don't think there's one single person who's a Pilates teacher who isn't motivated to some significant extent by helping other people. Uh, and I think that I think that's an noble thing. You know, I'm I'm that way myself. You know, I think it's a good thing. But I think often we conflate helping other people with sacrificing our own, you know, needs and well-being. And by conflate, I mean we we basically mix up those ideas and think that they're the same thing, right? So, you know. But helping somebody is not the same thing as making a sacrifice yourself. It's very possible to help somebody without making a sacrifice yourself, you know. So, so I think that we, I think particularly in Pilates, we ennoble sacrifice. And whereas, whereas rather, I think it would be more useful for us to focus on the impact that we're able to have on others, not necessarily what we give up ourselves in the process. I totally agree with you. And I I think you are the perfect person to elaborate on that just because I feel like you're already doing it, right? Like a lot of, I feel like a lot of the work you do, Raf, is about ensuring that Pilates instructors are working hard and doing a great job, but also not burning out that they're getting compensated and they are feeling fulfilled and empowered. So I think that you are, yeah, I agree with you. It's about putting on your own oxygen mask first. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think I've tried hard to create, uh, well, I, you know, I've experienced burnout and that's why I exited my studio business that I ran for a decade because I was burnt out and I didn't know the answer. It turned out just that I'd, I found the answer because my wife told me what it was, but, um, uh, you know, now I've, since I think I've figured out a pretty good solution for myself and I, I now, so something I've learned is that another thing is that like we, when we think about burnout, we think about exhaustion, we think about overwhelm and, and we think about, oh, there's too much to do, you know, all of the things I've got to do all of the things and I, I just don't have, I can't face doing all the things. Um, but the thing is that, uh, stress and burnout in my experience and also like just plainly from simple logic is not proportionate to the actual amount of work you have to do, right? So you can feel completely stressed and burnout as a one person operation seeing 20 clients a week out of your garage, right? Or you can run a, you know, $5 million a year company with a thousand clients and 50 team members, right? And not feel burnt out. Right, and so so the the number of things that you have to do is not actually correlated with how burnt out you be. Now you can be burnt out running a five million dollar company just as easily, right? But but it, but the point is that your 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 perception 
your experience of that stress is is totally disconnected from the actual amount of stressor that is you know like everybody's got a freaking massive to-do list right yeah um and one of the truisms of life is that to-do list never gets shorter it only gets longer yeah. so 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 the, i think the perception that's like oh if i could just do all the things you know then i'd be all right so well, that's never going to happen and the other thing that arises from that logic is like well if i just had less to do right so if i just that's where the self-care thing comes in. It's like, oh, if I just had fewer clients or I didn't have a business or I didn't, you know, whatever, if I just went and did more spa days or, you know, only worked three days a week or two days a week or one day a week, like you can be, I think, you know, one of our first conversations, you said you were burnt out working three days a week or something. It's like yeah. Yeah. The, the, the amount of things to do is not related, I think, to, to that, to the, your experience of, of burnout. It's so personal. It really is. It's really personal. Every individual is different. And that's one of the things too, that's, it's both awesome and frustrating about talking about burnout, because there are lots of things that I find stressful that are not stressful to people. Exactly to your point. I was listening to your latest episode today. um, And I think your guest said he works 40 hours a week, 40 classes a week. Yeah, he teaches 40 classes a week. Yeah. And when I heard that, I was like, Jesus, no, no, that I could never, ever do that. But of course he can. And that's, that's a personal yeah. thing, right? Right. But also he's like in his twenties, I think or early thirties, doesn't have kids, <laughs> you know, doesn't have a mortgage. Like he's, you know, he's always got a lot, a lot fewer other things going on in his yeah. life. But yeah, I mean, 40 classes a week. And he said it with joy as like, yeah, yeah. I get to teach 40 classes yeah. a week. Um, yeah, that that in my experience is fairly fairly unusual. Yeah. I find my limits about 20, 25, yeah. something like that. Yeah, but it's per, it, it, it's personal. Every human being has their own limit um, yeah. of what kind of stress it is. And and you know, let me. I feel like I'm gonna. I'm so excited because there's so many things that I learned, and I, there's so many things I want to share. And I feel like we're just gonna go all over the place. But um, one of the things that I think was really helpful for me to understand burnout was to understand the stress response. You okay if we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the stress cycle, and this is directly from the Nagoski sisters. They talk about this in their TED Talk. They also talk about this in the book. And this to me is psychology 101. This is something that I learned 25 years ago in psychology. And it was assuring to know that they're still teaching it that way because, you know, like I graduated is this the back in the dinosaur syndrome. What's that? Is this the general adaptation syndrome type oh, stuff that they teach? Right? Yeah, I don't. I don't know about that. I don't know about the. I, I'm talking more about like fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. That basic. It's just the basic understanding that your body perceives a threat, and then your brain immediately sends out neurotransmitters and hormones to, yep. so that your body can take action to neutralize the threat, and then you take that action hopefully the threat is neutralized and your body goes back to a state of homeostasis and calm because you've neutralized that threat. So one of the, um, I think it was Dr. Suzuki who, who made a really great, um, analogy. She said, okay, imagine a thousand years ago, I'm, I'm in the Northwest of Seattle. So there's, there's, um, trees and rivers and bears and things. So imagine me being a, a young woman with a baby on my back in the forest back before Seattle was Seattle. 
and I'm walking through the forest and I hear a branch crack and my brain immediately thinks that might be a bear, right? I mean, that's an adaptive response. The brain was built to keep us alive. So when my brain thinks this is a bear, I get a flood of hormones so that I can decide whether to fight the bear off or or flee. And I'll probably flee because of my baby. I flee back to my village using all of that energy that my body just gave me. And then I'm safe and I'm back in my village and everything is okay. And the way that they talk about, the way that Dr. Suzuki talks about it is, that was all well and good way back when, but our our brains have not evolved to modern culture. So the branch cracking now is so much more chronic, right? We've got traffic jams. We've got a shitty boss. We've got a toxic coworker. We've got a needy client. In my case for burnout, a lot of it was just me feeling like I was ill-prepared for the job. So every time I'd have to go to work, the three days I did work, I was flooded with adrenaline and cortisol and all kinds of other stress hormones because I thought that I was just going to fall on my face. So in modern times, we have just chronic, chronic stressors. And um, our bodies are just flooded all the time. And some more than others, right? Some people have really figured out how to manage that. And some people thrive on that. I, I know people who love that kind of high fast-paced work environment and home environment. But Mm. there are people like me who are just much more sensitive to (laughs) that kind of stress response. And I just, my body just taps out really quickly. Mm. Well, that's something uh, that we talk about in, uh, when we talk about pain physiology um, in the diploma is that uh, the stress response, you know, basically a stressor that, you know, the, the sort of medical definition of a stressor is any, something that threatens your homeostasis, right? So your body likes to be a certain temperature. It likes to have a certain level of acidity in your, you know, body fluids. It likes to, you know, all of these different things, um, like to have a certain level of hydration, certain amount of sodium, et cetera. So your body, that's your homeostasis is maintaining all of those, you know, uh, levels and systems within sort of fairly tight tolerances. And so anything that threatens your homeostasis is a stressor. So if it's very hot one day, you know, that's a stressor. Um, And in response to that stressor, you have a stress response, which is you release certain chemicals, primarily adrenaline and noradrenaline, or you might call it um, epinephrine and norepinephrine um, is, I think, the US name for it. Uh, And then a more longer-term stress hormone, uh, cortisol. Um, which are all basically secreted from the cortex of the kidneys, like the outside part just above the kidneys where the adrenal glands are. And those hormones circulate in your blood if it's very hot and they trigger a cascade of physiological responses in your body. So you start sweating, your blood vessels near the surface of your body dilate, you know, lots of different things happen that, you know, physically enable you to buffer, you know, mitigate that stressor of excess temperature. Now, if it's very cold, that's also a stressor. And if it's very cold, you release stress hormones, those exact same stress hormones, cortisol, adrenaline, noradrenaline. And, but then they tri- if it's cold, you, they trigger a different set of responses. You start shivering, you, you, know, you um, close down the blood vessels that go to your surface of your body, you, know, you conserve heat in, the, in your core. Uh, and if a bear is chasing you, 
that triggers a stress response, right? And in response to that, you pump more blood to your muscles and away from your digestive tract. So you, all your blood's ready, you know, your muscles are ready to prime and ready to go. It's like, who cares if about digesting lunch right now? We've just got to run as fast as possible. So, you know, that triggers a different set of physiological responses. But the basic system that responds to stress is that cortisol adrenaline system. And if you receive a like red notice from your phone company saying your phone is about to be disconnected, don't make a payment, that triggers a stress response. Exactly yep. the same. If you have a fight yep. with your kids, triggers a stress response. If you are not sure how you're going to make payroll at work, triggers a stress response. So, so you know, anything, any stressor, a physical, a mental, emotional stressor, even if you don't, if there's no physical thing, you're just thinking a thought about a, a past situation that was stressful can trigger a stress response. Yeah. Uh, and so in a very real physiological sense, we only have a single reservoir from which to draw when we respond to all of these things, right? And so the aggregate of multiple stressors really, it's like when you're driving up a hill in your car at night and it's raining, you've got the wipers going and the heater going and the headlights going and the misters going. It's like the poor old car can't drive very fast because you're drawing power for so many things off the same, you know, power, you know, source. And, uh, you know, in chronic pain, we say, well, sometimes all the stressors, um, you know, if it overwhelms a system, well, that can trigger a pain response, you know, and it's not necessarily any one of the things that cause the pain. It's just the aggregate, you know, all of it together. And I think that probably, you know, translates to the burnout concept where maybe it's not necessarily one thing or another thing. It's just kind of the, the, the aggregate of all the things that adds up to it. Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely the takeaway that I got when I was doing all of this research is that I, I got really excited because that you do talk a lot about chronic pain in all of the education that you do. And I think that a lot of that common sense can translate to how we deal with con- chronic stress. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would I would say, and this I'd gotten absolutely no evidence for this whatsoever. I'm just totally, you know, pulling this out of thin air. But you know, just given the logic of that, like that, you know, anything that threatens your homeostasis, that's what a stressor is. So, you know, to, today compared to a thousand years ago, um, or even a hundred thousand years ago on the African savanna, you know, today we've got a lot of chronic stressors like financial stress, work stress, you know, social comparison on social, you know, all of those things that didn't exist a hundred thousand years ago. But we probably have a lot less heat, cold, hunger disease, infection, you know, our kids dying, you know, like flies. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm just guessing, you know, got, like I said, no evidence whatsoever about this, but I'm, I'm guessing that living a hundred thousand years ago probably was no picnic in terms of chronic stress either. Just the stressors were different. Yeah, I would think so too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't, I, I don't really see sort of like, you know, pre industrial times as some kind of idyllic <laughs> existence. I think it was, you know, short, brutish, and what did they say? Uh, painful, brutish, and hard, and short, or something is the, the definition <laughs> of the noble savage. That's that's how life was, mm. uh, you know, before modern dentistry, for example. Right. <laughs> um, so, all right. So, how do, so, all right. So, we've got basically a stress response, right? And it's because we've got, and, and I think another really useful uh, definition I got from Layla Hormozy, who's freaking awesome. And if you'd want to be inspired about business, go follow Layla. She's the bomb. Um, 
she says overwhelm is the combination of high demand with low clarity. So when you think, okay, I've got all the things to do and I don't know where to start, basically, right? I don't know how to choose which thing to, to yeah. focus on. Yeah. Uh, so I think, um, you know, that brings us to, uh, you know, well, what can we do about it? Well, I think there are, in my mind, there are three kind of levels. Like you said, there's this kind of the societal level where we have this kind of um, culture that glorifies work. And I think in Pilates particularly, culture that glorifies self-sacrifice for others. Um, and then there's the situational level. So it's just like the workplace environment. Who are your clients? Who are your boss? Who are your employees? Who are your co- colleagues? You know, what are the boundaries there? How much do you get paid? How meaningful is your impact on people, et cetera? Uh, and then there is your response to the situation. Yeah. Right? So, so you could have a shitty situation, but just your internal response deals with it very effectively and it's doesn't, it washes off you, you know, like Nathan mm-hmm. teaching 40 classes a week. Um, so, uh, yeah, so there are those three levels. Um, and I think like, yeah, so, so what can we, you know, and, and if we also think kind of with that definition of like oh, overwhelm is the combination of high demand and low clarity and that stressors are anything that stresses, that threatens your homeostasis and, you know, uh, they all draw from a common reservoir. Well, I guess we can, you know, like just in real kind of basic terms, well, we can change the situation or we can change our response to the situation, right? Right. Or both. Yep. <laughs> right? So I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, so we can find a different workplace or we can fire our clients that we don't like working with, or we can <laughs> fire those employees we don't like, or we can train them up, or we can have a talk with our boss, or we can set more boundaries about what times will work and whatever, you know, or slash and we can do things that buffer stress or that enable us to deal with or tolerate, you know, that stress like exercise, like meditation, like, uh, you know, social, um, you know, facilitating social support for ourselves. Like, you know, so, yeah. So where should, where should we, should we sort of think about those two categories? Are those the things that you think about, like in terms of those two categories as well? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that on a societal level, there's, that is a, a too big of a topic. That's a topic not for us, I don't think. But we can definitely talk about it on a more organizational and individual level. What well, do you I think we with? can do something about that here, like you and me. Hmm. Um, in terms of the culture, is like, well, I don't think it's. I don't think it's noble to sacrifice yourself for someone else's happiness. I mean, I think there are probably edge cases where there. You know, I would question what I just said there, but it's like, I'm thinking, all right, if you, if a, if a, if your child is dying of cancer, you know, it's like, okay, let's, let's take those situations out of it <laughs> and say, okay, if you're working as a Pilates instructor, <laughs> okay, in the Pilates studio, I don't think it is noble to sacrifice yourself for your clients. I think it's silly. You know, I think it leads, it's unproductive and it leads to you hating and resenting your clients and, and getting out of the industry and feeling unfulfilled and a failure. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's not, it's not a, it, it's not helpful. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there we go. There you go. We, we did one little bit to change, you know, <laughs> change the awesome. societal expectation. Yep. Good talk. So, all right. So putting that to the side, <laughs> what can we, uh, what can we as applied instructors do about the situation? So I might be employed. I might be a contractor. I might be the employer or the person employing the contractor, or I might be working solo, you know, in my own, doing my own thing. So what can I do? So that what are the things that are going to 
you know, be stressors in that situation of burnout. I mean, it's going to be like emotionally needy clients. clients it's going to be poor boundaries. Boundaries, compensation. Yeah. I mean, so many things that, I mean, we can, we can make a whole list here because these are all things that you bring up in your little Instagram chats and podcasts, right? Well, let's, let's go with those two that you said, workload and compensation. Because yep. I think those are those are very closely related. It's like, well, if you get really well compensated, you don't have to work as much. <laughs> so, yeah. um, well, and also, and it's more than that too, right? It's also, I know, I know that for me, um, getting compensated well is also a reflection that my the person who is paying me recognizes my value. Yeah. And that goes to that one of those and, other sort of dimensions of you know which is sense of uh, being valued or recognised for the work yeah. that you do. Yeah, I mean, from from a very practical standpoint, we need to pay the rent and we need to ha- put food on the table. But also on a more you know on a personal side, it 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 does reflect it 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 feels good to be valued. And I think yeah. that's something that Pilates teachers, and I know this is something that you're trying to combat, is Pilates teachers, I think, I say this, as, you know, as a generalization, I think we are in a culture where we don't feel like we should charge very much. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, this, I know this that's is a trigger a, for you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's It kind of is. Um, well... I think we, you know, we all are here, like I said, because we are really almost compelled to help people. We, we, you know, we find that very meaningful and valuable in our, for us, our own sense of purpose and value, you know, our own value. And I think that's a noble thing. And I think it is good to help people. And, but I think we, you know, therefore we have this kind of value. We say, we don't do it for the money. We do it for helping people. And there, and I think we try and prove that to ourselves and to the world by, by repudiating money. Saying like, I, I actively don't want to get paid, you know, more than the, the absolute barest minimum, you know, because I'm not in it for the money. It's like, well, you can be not in it for the money, but still make money. It's like, you can... You can be in it purely to help people. And what's wrong if you make a million dollars helping people? It's like, does that mean you don't like helping people? You can still like be in it for the people, right? Whether you make money or not doesn't make any difference to that. Anyway, yeah. don't get me started. It's too late <laughs> you did, but <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think we, I think we, we create this false dichotomy where you think you can be in it for helping people or the money and it's got to be right. one or the other, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, why, why not? Why is that a dichotomy? Why can't you help people and get paid for it? Yeah. What's the problem with that? Yeah. So, yeah. So I think there's a values, you know, thing and a lot of Pilates instructors, you know, the vast majority, I reckon, have a lot of limiting beliefs around money. Like I'm not worth more, you know, because I just, you know, dot, 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 insert whatever, rationalization here, I, I just teach mat work or I just work from home or I only teach online or I haven't been teaching for very long or I'm blah, 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 not the right shape, not the right age, not the right mm-hmm. whatever, you know, <laughs> like um, it's, you know, so any of those things in my mind are just a total 100% limiting belief around money um, 
And yeah, so if you're not getting paid enough, uh, and, and then people have beliefs around like, oh, my clients can't afford to pay more. Well, maybe they can't, maybe they can, or maybe you just need different clients, you right. know, like mm-hmm. maybe you need different clients uh, who can't afford <laughs> to pay you what you need to get paid. Um, and that doesn't mean that you can't help people who can't afford it. It's like, here, here we are, you and me, Natalie, making a podcast for free. We're getting paid precisely zero, you know, to do this. Uh, and like, well, when you get paid well, you can afford to spend the time that you don't have to see those extra clients for an extra $12. You can spend that time helping people who can't afford to pay. Um, yeah. So, all right. So remuneration, I think that's, that's, that, that's a big one that's tied to workload. I think also for, in, for studio owners or, you know, business owners, you know, even if you're just a one person shop um, that, you know, Oftentimes I hear people saying, I I end up doing all of the things. I'm doing the admin and the taxes and the cleaning and the payroll and the uh, customer service and all of the the marketing, all of the things. And it's like, well, I think part of that is uh, is often driven by um, lack of money, right? So if, you know, because if you had a million dollars, surely you'd pay someone else to do the cleaning, you know, or the (laughs) the payroll or whatever. and part of it is driven by, um, by uh, obsessive perfectionism and the belief that you know I'm the only one that can do this perfectly, and no one else could do it as well as me. I'm sorry. There are people who can do cleaning better than you. There are people who can do payroll better than you. There are people who can do marketing better than you. There are people that you know. There's like there are really fucking smart people in the world <laughs> who can do stuff really well, and a lot of them will do it for less money than what you can charge a client, right? So you can get somebody to do your cleaning for $20 an hour and you can go and see a client for $80 an hour in that same hour, you know? Um, So, uh, you know, so I think part of it for, for Pilates business owners, even if you're a solo person, right? Or if you've, if you've got a business with other employees, other people, it's like, getting rid of a lot of those things like part of it is like we just got to have a business that generates enough money so you've got to put your prices up and that's part of that being you know setting your own value and part of it is you've just got to learn to let go and it's actually other people will do a good job and you're not the only one that can it's like there are freaking you know five million businesses in the u.s or something do you think you're the only person who knows how to do payroll you know like (laughs) no you're not other people can do it um, and one of the things that I've learned as I've grown in my business is there's there's very, there are very few things that I can do that there's not someone else out there that can do it like twice as good for half the money. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so, you know, like I used to build our websites and do the Excel spreadsheets and write the ads. And now I don't do any of those things because it's like, well, someone else can actually just do it literally better than me in less time yeah. for less money. So, mm-hmm. like, Yeah. Um, anyway, I went off on a bit of a tangent there. Sorry about that. Um, so we've we've got this. Uh, so yeah, I mean, do you have anything you want to add to those in terms of um, workload and uh, you know remuneration? Yeah. So I, you know, I don't really have. I don't have experience in being um, my own business. I don't work for myself, but I have worked for studios and I have friends who work for studios. And some of the things that are that factor into burnout to include things like, are you 
treating your employees fairly? Yeah. Um, what, how are you giving your employees a sense of control in the job? Um, one of the things that the researchers found that was really important, they call it rewards. And that kind of sounds like compensation, but what were the, what they're really talking about is social rewards. So being able to recognize when your employees are doing well, um, catching them when they're doing something good. I know that's a really big thing. One of the things that I have found as a Pilates teacher working at a studio, or, or, or I can imagine this for working for myself as well, is that it can get really lonely. Yeah. Right? It's really lonely. You're teaching by yourself um, most of the time, I think. You're teaching by yourself. I know that for me, when I go into the studio, I am the first one in and the last one out. I don't get to see my my coworkers. And when I do, it's it's like a white rhino sighting. I'm so happy to see yeah. another <laughs> to see another um, colleague. Another white rhino. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, some of the things that I think about, if I, if I were talking address, if I were addressing a studio owner, I would say things like, are you, what are you doing to engage your staff in, in making decisions about their own work and how the studio is being run and what you're asking of them? So how mm -hmm. are you giving them a sense of control? Uh, how are you recognizing them for the good things that they're doing? Um, or, I, I mean, you could say that, I would say that to the employees as well. Like, I mean, yeah, I agree with you that a studio owner should do those things. But if you're an employee, well, there's nothing stopping you going to studio owner and saying, hey, I think it would be awesome if we got together the whole team once a month or once a quarter or whatever and did a, some kind of in-house education or connection or, you know, yeah. if we gave peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, feedback to each other or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, would it be okay if I organized something like that? Absolutely. And that was another big thing. That's something I think that's important on an org organizational level and also something that we can talk about on an individual level is the idea of support. And I think that's especially true for Pilates teachers because we, we do often work alone. Yeah. And to be able to gather support and to network, to share ideas, all of these things that happen when you get together in a group is incredibly valuable yeah. on yeah. so many levels. And that's really, and really important. there's so much more opportunity for that now, for that sort of community to, to exist now with internet and, you know, really since COVID that has kind of exploded and now yeah. it is possible to find a community of people online and find like, huh, I'm not the weirdo that feels right. like this and everyone else is different. It's like, no, a lot of people yeah. have the same experience and you yeah. can, you can find people in your local area or anywhere in the world who have the same philosophies, the same struggles, the same mm -hmm. goals and ambitions as you. And you can just like, just hang out with those people and just that social support of yeah. like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. You know, I feel the same. Like yeah. that can massively buffer stress. I mean, like, um, you know, there are, there's a study we talk about in the diploma where, um, uh, they did uh, nurses in palliative care, you know, so ba basically people dying in hospice mm -hmm. care from, you know, end-stage cancer and whatever. When the nurses held their hand, they requested less pain medication, right? Wow. And yeah. this is just some random nurse they don't know, you know, happens to be on the night shift or whatever, just going in and holding their hand. Mm -hmm. Like it's just unbelievably powerful how much social support really does make life easier. Yeah. Well, and you're doing it. I don't know if you and Chloe meant to do it when you started the podcast, but I think it created this huge community that 
keeps going. I mean, it's just, I still find it so weird that I found this community when I really needed it. And now I'm on the podcast. Like that's just so weird. Well, that's, cool. that's the thing about the community is <laughs> like you reached out and we were chatting about one thing or another. I can't remember yeah. what. And then it's like that just evolves like, oh, we should have this conversation on here. Like, let's do that. And, and, and that's, that's what we're, that's, that is definitely one of the things, one of the big, you know, goals of this podcast is I think we try and articulate the things that a lot of people are thinking or worrying about or questions yeah. they're asking that they're afraid to articulate because they think, oh, I'm the only idiot that thinks this or, right. you know, whatever. It's like, no, you're not the only idiot. We're yeah. all thinking that, you know, a lot of us are thinking that. Uh, and then we try and continue, continue that with the community sessions that we do every week, which are live, you know, free sessions. Uh, you know, I do it, try and do it on Instagram where I dialogue with people. Yeah. So I think community is a massive thing. Um, and, you know, so I mean, if you're part of this community, you can reach out to other people in the community. Come join a community oh, absolutely. session stuff here. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, I, I feel it's it's amazing to be part of a community where I am welcomed and I feel safe and I can share my concerns and have people respond. It's amazing. That's happened to me. Also, I think after it was after the the very first podcast I recorded with you, there were multiple people. I think I told you there were multiple people who reached out to me over Instagram just to say, Oh my God, thank you for sharing your story. That's my story too. Yeah. And that was really powerful for me to for people, you know, I was just <laughs> I was just telling you my story. I I, I wasn't thinking that it was going to impact somebody else to know that they're not alone. I think that, I mean, and for me too, to know that I'm not alone, that a lot of the concerns that I had were not just me having my own personal problem, that that I was part of a bigger thing. That was yeah. great. It was really nice. Yeah. It's funny how we're all different in so many ways, but in some really fundamental, powerful ways, we're all basically the same. Yeah. We all, we all need connection. Yeah. Um, we all need to feel like, you know, we belong to some, some group or mm -hmm. more than one group. Um, and that there are people who get us. Yep. Um, um, all right. Uh, another thing I want to move on to is, uh, is, all right. So we talked about the situation and I think there's lots more that we could talk about there. And maybe I just want to highlight a couple of bullet points before we move on. So it's like, well, okay. We talked about remuneration and, you know, if you're, if you own your own business, well, who, who set the prices, you know, you did, you know, <laughs> um, uh, and, or, but even if you, if you're working in someone else's business, it's like, well, you're, you were one of the two people in that negotiation when you agreed on your wage, right? And there's, you can't make your employer pay you a different amount, but you can set a, a boundary about what you will and won't accept, right? And you can say, well, you know, here's how much I'd like to be paid. Do you think you can do that. And if the answer is no, that's fine. I'm just going to go across town and work somewhere else that will pay me that much, or I'm going to set up my own thing or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Um, so I think there, there are, there are things that we can do. And I know it's much easier said than done. Um, but you know, surprisingly, you know, once you do it, it suddenly becomes a, a lot less scary than it was 15 minutes before. Um, and I think we often build these things up into much bigger things than they need to be. And once you have the conversation, you realize, oh, is that all, you know, that was very easy. <laughs> um, and whether it goes, well, like whether the answer is yes or no, it's like, well, you know, often we, we think, oh, okay, you know, I really need this job. I love these people. I love these clients. I love these, I love everything about it. It's like, yeah, but do you think there's not any other studio 
with nice clients and nice staff, you know, <laughs> where you can do useful work. No, I think there is, there's another place that you can find that has all those things and they pay you more. You right. know, I think there, mm-hmm. that place exists. Yep. <laughs> um, so I think, all right, so there, there, there are some bullet points, things we can do to change the uh, situation or influence the situation. We can set boundaries with our clients. We can say, okay, I'm available between this time and this time, but not outside those times. Um, we can say, you know, I require this cancellation window. And if you miss that, then you sacrifice your session. You know, we can, we can create boundaries around the things that stress us out. And you can just fucking fire people. You can say to clients, hey, I don't think we're a good fit. You know, why don't you go see Mary up the road? I think she'll be a better fit for you, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're the boss, if, if it's you're a solo person or a business owner, it's like it's your choice, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you don't have to make a wedding cake for people if you don't want to, right? right. The laws, the Lord's told us that, right? Mm-hmm. So you can choose who you want to make a wedding cake for and just choose, like, who do you really want to work for? Who do you really want to work with? Well, only work with those people, you know, just work with the people you want to work with, fire everyone else, and maybe don't do it all in one day because then you'll have no money next week. But, you know, just get rid of the bottom 10%, you know, and then get, replace them. All right. And then next week, get rid of the bottom 10% with the new bottom 10%, you know, and eventually you won't have any bottom 10%. You'll only have like great clients, you know, and you can do that with your staff as well. If you own a business and you've got staff that aren't a good fit, um, it's not too late. You can make change. You can have an up or out conversation with people and say, Hey, if you're going to continue to work here, I need you to do A, B and C, and I need you to stop doing X, Y, and Z, yeah. you know? Um, so you, you can have those conversations, uh, and, but then I think, um, you know, uh, that, you know, we, this, this dimension of overwhelm where we have, you know, high demand, low clarity. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's a super common thing. Um, that's not just limited to business owners. Um, I think, you know, everybody experiences it at some point or probably most points, and it's probably exacerbated by social media and seeing all of the cool things that people are doing. Oh, I should do, you know, that exercise, or I should learn that cue, or I should do that course, or I should buy that outfit, or I should, you know, do that sales trick with my clients, or I should post more on social media, or get a website, or blah, 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 blah. Um, and it's like, yeah, all of those things are good things to do, but I think we have to fundamentally acknowledge, like, and maybe this is hard for most people in the Pilates world because maybe. And again, this is totally anecdotal. I don't know if it's true, but my perception is a lot of us tend to be more OCD slash perfectionist than mm-hmm. the average bear. Um, so yep. <laughs> maybe we need to learn to acknowledge that like 99% of the, of the stuff on your to-do list is just literally never going to get done. Like you're going to die, you know, at, hopefully at a very ripe old age with almost everything on your to-do list undone. And that life is messy and you can't tie up all of the loose ends uh, of everything. It just doesn't work that way. And, yeah. you know, uh, and, and the, the, the attempt to control the uncontrollable, you know, is sort of a sure path to insanity and, and overwhelm. Uh, and so I think it's really about, when you acknowledge that like, yeah, 99% of the things I, that would be good to do, I just literally can't do. So the, the, the skill lies in not doing more, 
but in choosing, okay, if I can only do 1% of the things, which 1% yeah. am I going to do and let everything else go to hell in a handbasket, you know, and just like gladly damn the torpedoes, you know, I'm just focusing on these one or two things that I actually are really going to make a difference and everything else can whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good skill for everything in life. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not just work. Yeah. Especially when you've got a lot going on and you've got multiple pots on the stove, you need to be able to prioritize what's really important and do the most important things first and forget about everything else. And I think you say this all all of the time in, in different ways, uh, in all of the stuff that you put out, but simplifying things. That was a really big lesson for me when I was feeling burned out because I was feeling like I was not equipped for the job. So I was consuming a lot of education from everywhere and just not doing it in a smart way. And that was overwhelming in and of itself because I yeah. thought, okay, so I'm not educated enough. I'm not skilled enough. So I'm going to, I'm going to collect more education. I'm going to collect more skills. And then it was too much, right? Right. So it was a really good lesson. It was a hard and slow lesson, but I got it that simple is simpler is better and yeah. prioritizing one, cook, cook a one pot, to. one pot meal. Yeah. Well, and that's true. I do that in my own life. Five ingredients or less, one pot. Always. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So I think that's, that's really important is just acknowledging that, yeah, you're not going to do almost everything. Yeah. Um, and the book that I've recommended before um, that I found very profound and helped me a lot with that is a book called 4,000 Weeks by Oliver. I just can't remember his surname, but it's a fantastic book and I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, and I don't get any money if you buy that book. I just think it's a great book. And if you struggle with overwhelm, um, I think it's a it's a fantastic thing that will give you a lot of perspective. Um, the other thing is, you know, so we you know, do less, you know, let let some things be undone, be shit, be messy, be non-optimal. Um, but I think the there's another dimension to that, or there's another there's a there's a yeah, there, yes, there's another side to that, which is that sometimes these feelings of stress, anxiety that we get around certain things are action signals. They're telling us that we need to change the situation. Um, and so, for instance, that client that you dread, you know, <laughs> working with or that, mm. that class that you hate teaching or that, you know, marketing that you hate doing or that conversation with your accountant that you're dreading, whatever it might be, sometimes these things are action signals that, you know, ignoring it doesn't make it better, makes it, it makes it worse. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think it's, it's an important skill to be able to distinguish, okay, when, you, and, and at the same time, sometimes, like, I think we, we have this expectation that it's, you know, we're never supposed to experience any negative emotions, like, you know, feeling stressed or anxious or nervous or, um, you know, a bit out of control or whatever. It's like, well, and I think those are normal things that everybody experiences from time to time. It's like in life. And so I think we don't, you know, just because sometimes you feel like a bit stressed or whatever, it's like, well, so, 
you know, that's that's don't worry about it. Just carry on and keep calm and carry on. Yeah, but, that's life. Right, but some so but sometimes when there's something that keeps coming back to you and it's like oh this 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 thorn in your side that just every time you move you know past it it just kind of pricks you you know a bit harder. Well, sometimes that's an action signal, and I think that means like, well, you, you need to do something about it. You need to fire that client or have an up-and-out conversation with them or change your boundaries or put your prices up or get a better accountant or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I think that's where it's so helpful to have a mentor or a support group or some a group of colleagues who can look at that situation a little bit better than you can. You know, if you get too close to something, you don't really see the problem. And I think it's yeah. really helpful. This is where your the support comes in or again having a mentor where that person has a a larger perspective and be able to point these things out to you because I know that for me when I'm in the thick of it, I can't see anything, but being able to speak to somebody yeah. to be able to say, "Oh yeah, uh the, the the solution it's so obvious like stop doing that I'm like oh right oh okay right. yeah and sometimes you can even do that for yourself like yeah i think sometimes or often i think we we think of stress as this kind of nebulous generic thing like oh i've got a lot of stress but actually like we said at the start of the conversation like stressors are very specific things that threaten your homeostasis and and it's an aggregate of those th- some number of those things that are you know, triggering your stress response at any given time. And so you can actually create a catalog and inventory of the things that are stressing you at the moment, right? You can go, okay, I've got this letter from the bank and I've got this fight with my kids and I've got this situation with this client at work and I've got this blah, blah, blah. And you just make a list of those things, right? And then you can come up with practical strategies to avoid, eliminate, minimize, deal with, you know, whatever, some or all of them. Right. Yeah. So rather than thinking like st- about stress as this kind of like all pervasive, nebulous, ill-defined thing, it's like, no, you've got very specific things that are the genesis yeah. of that. And you can go just make a list of those things and then you can come up with pra- practical strategies to change the things or you can buffer, you know, like you can, right, maybe you can't do anything that you're a new parent and you've got <laughs> sleep deprivation and screaming kid with colic or whatever. It's like you can't do much about that. Mm-hmm. But you can meditate or right. you know talk to a friend or you know there are lots of things that you can do to to buffer or you can go for a run you know there are many mm-hmm. things you can do to buffer that stress if you can't eliminate it yeah i think the last thing i w- uh, one thing i was thinking about with um burnout on an organizational level too is that burnout should be a red flag to especially if you are a studio owner burnout is a red flag. It's contagious. <laughs> yeah. So it's something that you yeah. really should be looking out for and trying to tr- just trying to deal with before it becomes an issue. And the thing right. about stress too is, you know, stress, stress is a part of everyday life. It is something that is, it's not, it's unavoidable. Yeah. But chronic stress is what we're talking about here with burnout. Chronic stress is where your cup is overflowing and you yeah. feel distress. And you're, you know, it could even be you're starting to have physical symptoms. Like that's your body in overload. And, you know, you talk about this when we're talking about uh, strength development, that you need stress on your muscles 
in order to get stronger, but too much of it causes injury. And and if right. you think about your brain as a muscle, it's the same thing. You know, some yeah. of stress is really good. It it's it activates something. It causes you to to problem solve and to innovate. But too much of it is what we're talking about. This burnout where it's you become completely immobilized by yeah. by stress and it's causing you distress in your life. Right. And yeah. yeah, so sometimes that's just because like, well, that's an action signal and you need to do something about that mm-hmm. <laughs> and rather than being immobilized by it. And sometimes it's uh it is just time to leave the situation. Like maybe it is time to change careers or close your studio right. or, you know, whatever. And you know, when, so you know, when should you stop doing a thing? Um, I don't, I don't know if there's any, you know, true one size fits all answer for that. But I think mm-hmm. when you genuinely feel you don't want to do it anymore, when it doesn't bring you, when the thought of thought of it, like genuinely, doesn't bring you joy, and you don't want to find a solution <laughs> to yeah. to that, um, it's. I think it's totally fine. Like we all have to leave things. We all have different seasons in our life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had many seasons in my life so far, um, and you know I've closed each season and moved on to the next season. And I imagine of you know my current season as a Pilates educator, you know I'm really happy. I can't foresee when I'll be ready to move on, but it's like probably when I'm 90, I don't think I'll be doing exactly what I'm doing now. You know, so there's going to be there are going to be yeah. more seasons, and I think it's it's yeah. okay to it's okay to end something if if it's not serving you. Right. One of the things that I was I found really really helpful in the Nagoski and Nagoski work, uh, if we think about what we can do on an individual level, is the idea that you can deal with, you can start to deal with the stress response. So the the physical feelings that we have in our body, you can start to deal with that stress response without getting rid of the stressor. So one example that they give is if you're stuck in traffic and you're late to wherever you need to be and you've got all of this you know adrenaline and cortisol running through your body when you get to that place finally don't just sit down and relax and have a glass of wine do 50 jumping jacks just to get that stress hormone just to get those stress hormones moving through your body and and that's something that was really really that was exciting to me to learn about just from you know just knowing that we're here talking with other movement professionals and movement lovers is the idea that um, across the board, people who talk about burnout and people who talk about chronic stress, they talk about exercise and movement as the yeah. first line of defense yeah. for preventing and dealing with burnout. So move yeah. your body, take walks, go for a run, do a bunch of jumping jacks, push-ups, punching bag, you know, scream. They were even talking about like being physical with your body. If you, if you don't have time or you, you're not in the mood to go for a run, things like clenching your fists or your whole body really tight, um, crying, having a really, really good Mm. cry, just being physical with your body, because that's what we were evolved to do. Mm is to have we got we have these stress response these neurotransmitters and it was meant to move the body in some way yeah. so move your body so that was really exciting to hear that so movement was the big one and that was across the board all of the research that I've done all of the podcasts that I've listened to about burnout that's one of the things that they really talk about is 
having an intention every day to move your body, not for the sake of anything except to just release all the shit from your modern day, get that out. Yeah. So the exercise was the really, really big one. and, And on top of that, things like, um, and we talk about this with chronic pain too. So rest, getting good sleep, having good nutrition, you know, so if we think about this from a biopsychosocial model, it's really easy to conceptualize that. If you if you know anything yeah. about dealing with chronic pain, you can find lots of ways. And I wrote down a ton of things, you know, outside of exercise, uh, rest and nutrition and having hobbies, having a gratitude practice. If you if you're a religious person going to church, um, meditation, deep breathing. Uh, therapy and counseling, that might be something that people will find helpful is to have a therapist or a counselor. Um, and then having loving relationships and support. Those are all the things that are really important for chronic pain and for chronic stress, it turns out. At least that's what we know so far. Yeah. Well, because they're the same things that promote human flourishing, right? Yeah. And resilience. Yeah. Uh, we've actually developed uh, a little workbook called the What Is Causing Your Pain Workbook, which we developed from something based on uh, something I got from a guy called Barham Jam, who's awesome. Um, and we developed into, it's not, uh, it's, it's let's say it's evidence-informed, but it's not evidence-based. Like I don't have yeah. citations for everything in it. But basically it's just a, it's a checklist of stressors um, and you just put, uh, it's not a checklist, it's you give yourself a one to 10 scale of, you know, from, or zero to 10, you know, zero being this stressor doesn't affect me at all. It's not a thing for me. And 10 being like, yeah, this is a really big thing for me. So things like, you know, poor sleep, family stress, work stress, financial stress, you know, all of those things, you kind of go and rate them for yourself, zero to 10. And then you have healthy behaviors that sort of support resilience, like, you know, daily exercise, time in nature, you know, meaningful contribution, mm-hmm. time with loved ones, you know, things like that, uh, having fun every day, relaxation. Um, and so then you just go through and sort of add up, okay, I got, you know, whatever number, the, the total number I got for my stressors was, you know, 42, if I add them all up. And for my healthy behaviors was, you know, 21. It's like, oh, I've got a lot of stress and not doing many healthy things of myself. Now, like I said, it's not evidence-based. So I can't say like, if you, if you scored 43, that's bad. If you scored, you know, 21, that's good. But I, it is kind of a useful tool that you can self-evaluate and just reflect on the things that you already know are the good things, you know, for your own uh, personal well-being, uh, and then uh, just walks you through a little goal-setting process to identify uh, things that you could do to improve your resilience and health. And then I will pop that in the show notes uh, and link to it if uh, anyone wants to download it and go through it. I will download it. <laughs> I uh, love to know what scores you give yourself. Yes, yeah, I'll so, tell you. So it feels like we're kind of uh, coming to the end of the conversation. Do you feel like there's anything else that needs to be said? Well, I know I talked about my burnout in in the first episode that I was with you, but I think that you know, just to kind of bring it back to me personally, just because I think burnout is really personal and everybody deals with it in a different way. But my burnout was not from overwork. It wasn't from 
what I thought I was being undercompensated. I was just really, I was feeling really ill-prepared. And because I felt ill-prepared, I was feeling incompetent and not confident about my teaching. And that caused so many feelings around being an imposter. And for me, what, what helped me get rid of my burnout, first and foremost, was to finally find relevant and meaningful education. That was a really big part. And, you know, I'm not, I don't, I I never want this to sound like, I know you don't want me to make this to be a commercial about breathe, but it's true. I, and I'm not getting paid to do this, to say this. I, having meaningful and relevant education and training really was the biggest thing for me. It made me feel competent and confident and that got rid of my imposter syndrome. So that was a really big piece. The other part I, for me was I, go I, ahead. Sorry, I, I just you just made me think. I saw something today. In fact, I actually posted something on social media today that said confidence comes from knowing what's true. And yeah. when you're not clear on what's true and what's not true, it's it's I think it's appropriate to not feel confident. You know? Right. Um and so the yeah, so the if you're not confident, it could in fact be the case that that lack of confidence is justified because you don't you're not yeah. clear on what's true. So in that yeah. case, the antidote the antidote is and that is to just actually go and learn what's mm-hmm. true and what's not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that really helped me was to have fresh and frequent inspiration. And I know that's something that we talk about a lot already in the Pilates industry is where do you get your inspiration from? How do I get new fresh ideas? And um, for me, you know, there's, I'm not going to list anything that's rocket science. Everybody knows this already. You can get inspiration from many different things. I personally get my inspiration from podcasts and from Instagram. And also I do love chatting with colleagues that is and that goes to that's another that's another one of uh you know my sources of feeling healthy and refreshed is is my support system my support system also does give me inspiration with ideas we share ideas all the time i was um i have i'm going back on medical leave and i was thinking for my last mat class i was going to teach a class for 50 minutes in 360. So, you know, we talk at Breathe, you talk about doing clusters of 360. I was going to yep. do a full 360 class. I don't know why. I just thought I'm just going to do something really, really different. I'm just going to blow them out of the water with this 360 class where we're going to do one minute of supine and then one minute of sideline and then one minute of prone. Anyway, so I was going to do that for 50 minutes. So I texted a couple of my friends. And just getting their feedback was exciting to me because one person was like, huh, okay, tell me how it goes. And the other person was like, oh, that's amazing. I want to know all about this. Mm. But it's just, you know, I I do those kinds of things all the time. I just, I love being able to bounce ideas off of my colleagues. And I find them to be such an important source of support and inspiration. So that's another thing for me. I want to just, I guess differentiate there between inspiration and ideas. And I think both of those things are valuable, but uh, given that part of burnout can be overwhelmed with like too many yeah. ideas yep. and things, 
I think it's it's really important to seek out inspiration that's not going to further overwhelm you with more things that you think like, and I'm not talking to you, Natalie, just like right. this is the, the, the generic you, Yeah. Um, to not seek out things that are going to that you're going to have to add to your to-do list. Oh, now I have to learn that new move or build my website right. that certain way or whatever. Um, so I, I, and I'm susceptible to, to this as well. So I find I've got like, you know, 50 books that I've purchased that I haven't read yet. And I, I'm thinking like, oh, I'll need something to read today. What do I read? And I look through all those books and it's like, well, no, I choose not to read any of them, even though they're all look awesome and exciting. That's why I bought them because I don't, I don't need another thing to implement in my business or my life or whatever right now. I need to be more inspired to do the things I'm already doing better. And so how can I seek out, you know, more validation, more inspiration, you know, more support of, you know, for me just to, to stick to my knitting and do the, you know, do the things I know I need to do rather than more things. No, that's totally true. I think that's absolutely true. And I don't know that I have a, I don't have a, a neat solution for I don't have any advice to to tell people if that's you know if that's something that could either be harmful to you or inspirational to you and it really the the medicine can be the poison right. so you right. got to know yourself and you got to know um you know, what your limit is and you have to have boundaries around those kinds of things um I know that for me probably as a newer teacher having too many ideas was too much yeah. But now as a more experienced teacher, it's so much easier for me to look at ideas and filter out right away yeah. whether or not it's something that I can add to my toolbox or something that I can just kind of uh, ignore. And I think some of that does take time. You know, yeah. it takes time for you as a human being, but also as a Pilates teacher to know um, whether it's helpful or not. Yeah, it is helpful for me. I think I'm at a point now where I can look at a whole bunch of Instagram reels and not get overwhelmed. But I imagine, you know, a couple years earlier, that probably wouldn't have been the case. I wouldn't have been able to um, handle that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. Not necessarily with Instagram, but um, although I can waste an awful lot of time on Instagram if I don't (laughs) consciously. I actually delete the app. Um, So I go on. I, I install the app, I go on, I reply to a bunch of DMs and, you know, connect with, with people. Um, and then I post and then I delete the app off my phone again. Wow. Yeah. Cause, cause I just, I don't have the discipline to yeah. not use it if it's mm-hmm. there and I'll just think, oh, I'll just check in. And there's like yeah. an hour later, like, oh, where did that hour go? So yeah, hmm. I just, I just delete it. It's a bit of a pain, but that's kind of the point. Wow. That's, that's really impressive. I give myself, um, um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner break. So I check Instagram at breakfast or after breakfast, after lunch and after dinner. And I try to hold myself to that. Although I was just on vacation. So I was on a little bit more because I ate a little more. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my system's not perfect and I'm very far from perfect. Like, you know, I can easily get sucked into it for an hour or two, but, um, I find that, you know, eight, eight days out of 10, I delete it straight after I post. And yeah. uh, that just gives me an extra two or three hours in the day. It's awesome. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> um, yeah. Is there anything else? Mm, what else is on my list? Boundaries. So for me, mm. boundaries look like um, what my scheduling needs are. I have two kids. And when I started teaching Pilates, they were really small. So actually, <laughs> my boundary was I only wanted to teach on weekends because 
uh, I needed to be home for my kids when they were at school and when they had school things or if the school, if there wasn't school on a school day. But then on the weekends, <laughs> uh, I'm just telling the whole world my business, but on the weekends, I never wanted to go to the birthday parties or the soccer, the soccer games. <laughs> so I only wanted to work on weekends and I had my husband do all the birthday parties <laughs> and soccer games and I went to the studio to teach. Oh, that's funny. I still do that. Actually, I still do that now. The other thing for a boundary for me was I learned early on that I didn't want to teach private lessons. So I only teach group classes. And I don't put myself out on the studio for private lesson availability. I It's just not my thing. I don't want to do it. And so I only teach group lessons. That was a boundary that um, that was a boundary that it took me a while to get that to stick because when I was being trained as a Pilates teacher, it was, it was just kind of a given that you yeah. taught group and you taught private lessons. And I just thought, okay, I teach group and I teach private lessons. And it took me a little while to, to say, actually, no, I don't want to teach private lessons. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. And now I don't have any problem saying that. And I do actually have students who will ask me, you know, can I take private lessons? And I'll just say, I'm sorry, I don't offer private lessons, but I know some amazing teachers who would happily work with you. So that was yeah. a big one for me. And I mentioned this already, but I'll say it again, because to me, this was the, the, uh, apart from the meaningful education, the other thing that really helped me with the burnout was my community support. And that includes my colleagues who are here in Seattle, Joy, Paige, Lindy, Robin, and then my amazing breathe group my international group and my Australian friends. And we haven't done this in a while, but even after we finished the certificate, we have gotten together, the four of us. There are four of us who would do practice teaching together during our cert program. And we're friends and, you know, we, we check in and we share stories and we just talk about what, what's going on in our Pilates lives and our personal lives. And that's just so important to me to be able to have that connection with everybody, along with the connection that I have with you and with, uh, and, and with all of the people that I've been meeting on Instagram. It's just awesome. It's really nice. And again, all of those things give me support. They give me inspiration and it gives me, it just, it just feels good to know that I'm doing something that I really, really love and that has meaning for me. Mm. Connecting with people yeah. is so magical when you do it yeah. in a meaningful way. So maybe this is your wake-up call to or your reminder to reach out to those people. And I've been um, making a conscious effort to do that uh, over the last few months on Instagram and text messages and things when people uh, reach out to me is uh, saying how much I appreciate people for the things that they do. Yeah. Uh, and I, that makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. So it's purely selfish. <laughs> no, actually, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's based on research. That was another thing that they talked about with burnout, too, is that one of the ways to combat burnout is to help other people in, in other yeah. ways. I mean, and oh, I just got to be careful with what I say, because a lot mm, of times mm. burnout happens with people who are helping people. Helping too much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, there is, there is space for doing volunteer work or doing something completely different right, where you're, right. where you're helping people. And that right. does, that does help some people with burnout. Yeah. Right. And there are ways that you can help that don't involve you sacrificing. So, I mean, I try and set 
um, boundaries. Like I get like every day, I probably get like 30 or 40 plus DMs from different people. And a lot of them are just like, hey, loved that episode, really made a difference, you know, whatever, which is awesome. And I love having receiving those messages. Uh, but a lot of times they're like asking for advice um, or yeah. coaching, what should I do in my business? I've got this client, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and I, I do, you know, try and help those people. But a lot, I probably get like a few people a day asking me if I do like one-on-one coaching for business or whatever. And my answer is always, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you can spend five minutes telling me what your problem is, I'll spend 15 seconds telling you what I think about yeah. that and you can take take it or leave it. <laughs> you know, And if I think the problem is interesting and, and applicable to other people, I might do an episode about it mm-hmm. or a, yeah. a, a post about it. Um, but so I think it's it's also having those boundaries like, well, how can I help this person in a way that doesn't cost me more than I can afford to spend? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah. I was just going to say, I was, I'm looking at my notes here. There was a, a quote that I wrote down, um, two quotes actually that I, I feel like are really important. I'm going to read them because I think it relates to burnout. So Christina Maslach said, if the solution to burnout is to get away from work, what does that say about work? So I think that's something good to think about. What does it say about work if you need to get away from work? It's not about self-care. It's not about taking a vacation. We need to fix work. And if that, you know, if that means if you're a studio owner, what does that mean for the business that you're running? And if you are your own business owner and you're a one person show, what can, what can you do to make work someplace that you want to be? Yeah. And I think it's, it's like it, that can feel overwhelming in itself, but the great news is, and I've been there, I've been there, that you're probably only a handful of tough conversations away from a business or a work situation that you love. Yeah. You know, there are probably, of all the things that stress you about your work or your business, there are probably a, a less than a handful of things that are like particular people or, you know, employees or relationships with your boss or whatever, that if you just had those difficult conversations in a constructive and private situation, it's like you can move on and you can actually solve that problem. You know, you can fire that client, you can sort that communication issue out with your boss, you can whatever. And it's like, yeah, like a a whole world of relief (laughs) could Mm -hmm. be waiting for you you know, just on the other side of a couple of uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be just because something is having a big impact on you doesn't mean it has to be a lot of work to fix it. Right. One start small. I think one of the things that uh, one of the researchers advice is to redefine success and, and break down your goals into smaller goals so that you can have small, meaningful wins. Mm. So yeah, trying to prioritize and do small things and make one change at a time is really Mm. important because there's only so much we can handle. There's only so much your brain can do. Yeah. Yeah. That there's lots of support for that in the goal setting literature as well. Mm -hmm. And I know that here in Seattle, and I imagine that it's, this is happening elsewhere. We have such a huge, Pilates instructor shortage. I'm not sure. Is that is that true in Australia too? Yeah, is that's well. I, I don't know the stats on it, but I hear a lot of employers saying that. Yeah, there's a huge instructor shortage, and I get 
I get cold calls. I've been getting cold calls for a really long time now, but especially in the last six months, studio owners don't even care anymore what I teach, what I t- what my teaching is like. They just need a, a warm body, essentially. Got a heartbeat and a certificate. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a huge Pilates teacher shortage. So I think that if you ever felt like you needed to make a move, at least here in Seattle and big cities, this is kind of a nice time to do it. While there are a where, lot of wherever you are, opportunities, you can move, yeah, you can move to Seattle. You've got a guaranteed yeah. job. <laughs> move to Seattle and come be my friend. I love having it only rains two hundred and sixty-five days of the year. No, it doesn't though. It's not you know with uh, with with climate change. Actually, that's not true. We had a very 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 rainy spring. There are people who are just about losing their minds here because it was the end of June and it was just gloomy. I love it. Me personally. I love it. But you've got the original Starbucks and you've got the fish markets with those little donuts you can buy there that are amazing. And you've got that tall needle building that goes up. Yeah, the space needle. We've got, we're surrounded by water on three sides. It's beautiful here. It's so nice. Yeah. And there's amazing uh, forests and woods. Yeah. Just watch out for the bears. Yes. The bears and the cougars. Uh, This has been a great conversation, Natalie. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Raf. No, thank you. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So Rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.